Okay, so I'm not going to be long, but I want us to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, because like everybody else, I'm going to be the broken record also, everyone through hope, peace, joy, and then now love, we have struggled to figure out kind of where to start with this. Um, I feel like there's a million passages about love. We've, for four weeks, I've been thinking like, okay, do we, what even kind of love do we talk about? Do we um, talk about love for each other, love for children, love for the divine? Like, what are we, what are we doing here? Um, but I keep coming back to this passage that I think I've read at about two-thirds of the weddings I've done, um, some of them with you. Um, and I just, I want us to read it not at a wedding. I want us to read it um, for Advent and this idea of waiting. And I want us to read it as we are waiting for this to kind of overwhelm us and overcome us. And I want us to think about this 1 Corinthians 13 passage of what love is um, to kind of inspire us as we go into these next few days. And as we start this new year, we have these resolutions we start and all these things. I want us to start here, okay? So let's turn there together. If you have your Bible, and I'll read it to you. Um, So anyway, we're in the passage in Corinthians where the writer is more than likely Paul. And Paul is talking through kind of some spiritual gifts and how the church needs each other in their spiritual giftings, right? Talks about in chapter 12 about how, you know, we're all a part of the body, right? And so each part has a function. And so if you're, if you are the hand, the eye cannot tell you, oh, you're not very important hand because you all matter to each other, right? You're all tied together. It's this idea of being bonded as one organism, bonded as one person, bonded as a family, bonded as a church in that way, okay? So I want to start in 1 Corinthians 13, and it says this, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. Okay, so just stopping right here, um, since there's kids in the room, has anyone ever sat a pot and a spoon foolishly out in the middle of the floor and allowed a child to play with it in your presence? Has anyone done this ever? Yes. Yes. My, I had not done that until my father was so nice to come to town one week and do that for us, to show Asher how to do that. I was so proud that he showed him that wonderful thing to do for us. But in all seriousness, I know it's a joyful, right? Everyone's like, no, that's a joyful noise. It's absolutely not a joyful noise. It's joyful for like four seconds when they're finding that it's awesome. And you're like, oh, that's really cute. I want them to stop, but that's really cute. And they don't ever stop doing it. They continue to smash the metal pan with whatever spoon or object they were given until you remove it from them, right? That's how it works, right? So when I think of a, a, <laughs> a clanging gong or a resounding cymbal, or a cymbal, yeah, that's what I think of. I think of this, this awful, piercing noise of of clanging of two metal things or a wooden and metal thing or whatever. And here's, here's the deal with that. We focus our attention, I feel like, so much on how to say the right thing, right? Or saying it the most beautifully, right? I remember growing up in a church that taught you how to share your faith with someone and they taught you this like, this acrostic, which was I'm sure fine, or they would teach you, I need you to go sit with mama, let's sit by mama, okay? Or they would teach you, you can be. Come up here with me. Here, let's put your chair right up here with me. Sit right here. Thanks, buddy. Um, Or they would teach you this poem to say, or there was this back and forth argument, right? And so you were taught that that was how to do it, which 
I don't feel like is a wrong thing in and of itself. But I feel like at the time, I know I and some of my friends around me focus so much on being able to do that correctly and saying the right words or winning the argument. You know, you feel like, I feel like sometimes our sharing of what we believe with someone looks more like a wrestling match than a dance, right? We just want to like wrestle them into submission and, and debate the win. And then we'll be like, ha, we won. Now you obviously love Jesus very much because I just beat you in this argument, right? And that's, that's unfortunately the way a lot of us approach some of those situations and some of those discussions. Sometimes, unfortunately, we, re- we approach our faith in this way. And, and Paul seems to say very clearly, that's fine, you can know the best way to express. You can have the, the finest words to express what you believe. You can, you can debate beautifully. Your, your argument can be rock solid. No one might argue against you, but, unfortunately, if, if love is not, not just a part of it, but if it's not the overarching theme of everything you might utter, of everything that might drip from our mouths, if, if love isn't this overarching only part, then we are a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. And I think we've heard enough of those. And I honestly think the world has heard enough of that. They're tired of the piercing, awful noise it gives to our culture, to someone else's as we insert it there, right? We're tired of it. The world has had enough. They know the argument by now. What they need is for everything that comes from us to be just surrounded and embodied with love. It goes on to say, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains but don't have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, church at East, If we give everything we have, sacrificially, if we give everything we have, we generosity dinner so hard, if we we continue to all the nonprofits we we like or or are proud to be a part of or all the families we're we're glad to give to, if, if that's who we are and we keep doing that, we give to the poor and we even give over our own body to hardship that I may boast but don't have love, Nothing is gained. Nothing. 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 Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. And so as we go through this list, I want us to think of something else as well. I want us to look at this not as feelings, okay? So I think at a wedding, I think that's kind of the idea. We, we feel like when, especially when I'm talking in front of everyone and the bride and groom are there and they're, they look beautiful you know, like they're the happiest that they're probably going to be. And everyone's just watching their love, like, displayed to the world. And it's this wonderful feeling, right? That your grandfather is up there with you, right? Hanging out, reading his passage that everyone loves, you know, because it's him. You have your, you, your family, your closest friends are there. We look at these, and we look at patience, kindness, not envying, boastful, proud. We look at those as feelings. Don't feel boastful. Right? Don't feel envious. We have this idea of like, feel kind towards your person. Feel patience. When in fact, these things are all actions that we create in the world. Kindness only affects us until it's acted. You can, you can feel as kind as you want 
to the person next to you. You can feel like you are so kind towards your mother, but until you call her, that is not kindness she gets to experience. Does that make sense? You can feel kind towards your wife, and you can look at her and think, oh, I'm so lucky. But until you express that in some way, it doesn't mean anything to her. It's just yours. It's not shared. So let's think of all these as actions, acts of. Okay, so I'm going to read through this as acts of something. And it says, love is acts of patience. Love is act is an act of kindness. Love is not an envious word. It is not a boastful stance towards something. Love is not a proud demeanor. It does not dishonor others. Love is not a self-seeking, manipulative utterance. Love doesn't win the argument for argument's sake, one might say. It is not easily angered. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs to save for later to again win in some way or to have triumph. Love does not delight in evil things but rejoices in the truth. Love is an act of protection. Love is an act of trust. Love are acts inspired by hope. Love always perseveres. Love does not fail. Where there are prophecies, there will be an end to them. Where there are tongues, they will be quiet. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we see in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what, we, what was in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child, but when I became a man, I put these ways behind us. For now we see only a reflection is in a mirror, then we, we will see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. And all these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. So I want us to focus on this one thought before we go into communion. It's this idea... Okay, so in Matthew, first of all in Isaiah, and then I think in Jeremiah, and then in Matthew, we have this um, pronouncement to us. It's really beautiful. It's really beautiful because of what it assumes... And it's beautiful because of what it tells us. Jesus says it later and he says, learn to do what is good, right? I think Jeremiah says, learn to act on righteousness or something like that. And I think Isaiah is somewhere around that. But Jesus says, learn to do what is good, right? Learn to do it. Learn to do good things. First of all, meaning we don't know what to do that's good necessarily. It has to be a learned thing. We have to to apply it. We have to come with that knowledge and then apply it in life. It doesn't just happen to people. Right? Learn to do what is good. But then it also assumes it can be learned, and it also assumes that what is good is something done. Right? So it doesn't say, learn to feel what is right. It doesn't say, learn to have positive emotion. Learn to be full of emotional love. It doesn't say that. It says, learn to do what is good. And I, now think about this passage in Corinthians, and it, it makes me... Doesn't I don't think haunt me because that would assume a bad thing, but it is heavy on me this month of Advent that I need to learn to do acts of love. I'm not I'm not requested and told and convicted to feel loving about things. 
I'm supposed to act in love towards people. I'm supposed, supposed to act in a patient way. I'm not supposed to just hope I feel patient when the time is right. I need to learn to do patience. And in so I'm loving, right? I'm to learn how to shun envy. That is, that is something I must learn to do actively. I can't just hope that doesn't accompany me somewhere. I'm going to be envious. I'm going to be boastful. I'm going to look for every opportunity to sneak it in, right? But what I'm supposed to do is learn humility. Because humility is an act of love. So learn how to act in that way. And this, as we're, as we're going through the season of absolute just fun and craziness and chaos and the whole bit, right, of Advent, that is Christmas with everyone's family who we love so much, especially you who are here, y'all's kids only speak well of you, that part of family for sure. So it's not, it's not y'all that's crazy. But our families are going to ask a lot of us. Our neighbors are going to ask a lot of us. Our kids are going to ask a lot of us. Our spouses, your coworkers, are all going to ask a lot of you. And what I want us to do is act in love. Not just hope for the emotion. Not just hope that it like, exudes from you in some, you know, in the ether way. But how we can actually produce actions that show we love each other. And I want us to do that together.